Canucks Central Tuesday. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shaw with you from the Kintec studio. Canucks training camp details announced this afternoon. They're getting ready to go to Whistler. They'll do some testing here in Vancouver tomorrow. Breaking news, there will be hockey. Yes. We're going to have at least a little bit of an insight into how Bruce Boudreaux handles bag skates. Can't wait for all the bag skate Mm. tweets that are going to happen in the next week. Oh, yeah. There will be a lot of takes on uh, the bag skates and which poor sucker is going to be laying Mm -hmm. on the ice and uh, fans (laughs) wanting to trade out of the market. Zach gives props. Which Canucks (laughs) player is most likely to end up like Ole Ulevi? (sighs) Passed out in the corner of the ice. Do we have a like? I don't know if there's a favorite. I don't know this year. They don't we, have as many. Uh, I don't know. Our next hit with Matt Lee, we'll probably have to like uh, set the odds on that one. Yeah, if they're listening, which I'm <laughs> sure they are, our good friends at BCLC. We need we need lines on who's the next Ole Levy. Um, so we're we're gonna get into more uh, training camp storylines uh, as we always do. But this hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 18. 18- 92 and I I have to say sad I'm as excited about Vasily Podkolzin as everybody else oh I I, I I believe I I think I I feel like you're setting up a Grinch moment here and there's a ton of talent in the player the shot was a lot better than advertised Mm -hmm. when he showed up on the scene here in Vancouver last season the end to the season that he had brought a lot of promise. Hey, he's figuring it out. He's getting his confidence back, building momentum into his sophomore season. Love all of that. Mm-hmm. And I'm here for it. I'm here for, hey, this guy is going to be a great player for the Vancouver Canucks for a lot of years. But I'm start. yes, there's a but, but I'm starting to wonder if the hype the excitement of what Vasily Podkolzin's second year could be is getting to be too much. That's that's all I'm saying. That's where I'm at. I mean, it's not just coming from the fan base. It's not just coming from the Dunbar Lumber text line oh, for no. all our live listeners that are like, Podkolzin, breakout season, it's going to happen. This is the year. And Hey, I get it. Be hyped about your star young player. It's even coming from his teammates. It's coming from coaches. It comes from management. Everybody is hyping this guy up, and I just, you know, I I wonder if he's going to be able to live up to the hype. The hype is getting to be Mm. a little too much for what I think Vasily Podkolzin ends up being in his sophomore year. Well, I mean, don't we always say players know? Yeah. But isn't the players hyping him up the most? Like that is probably the most promising part about this. It's not not just know. JT Miller. It's like everybody around the Canucks is just like, yeah, Pod, Pods, Pods is going to be good. This isn't a you know July twenty seventh blog story about yes. You know, Vasily Podkolzin is my Here's, favorite yes. to win the you know to be the most improved player in the league or something next season or yeah, whatever. He's going to win the sophomore player of the year trophy. Yeah, yes. this is who we need to draft <laughs> in dynasty next season. Vasily Podkolzin. So it's not like that. It's the players themselves talking about it. So for that, I think we should we should allow the possibility that maybe just maybe Vasily Podkolzin takes this giant step this season. But to your point, let's be realistic. 
Yeah. What is a giant step? What do we view as a st- giant step this season? And also the second question, what is his pathway to get there? My my biggest my biggest hurdle in overcoming, you know, the amount of hype that's being put onto Vasily Podkolzin right now is just how do we normally judge players? How do we normally in the fantasy sports era of <laughs> uh, of the world, how do we quantify success production it it all comes down to production it comes down to how many goals you got how many points what are you giving my team Mm -hmm. you know that's that's what earns the hype mostly and i just i don't know if i'm ready to sit here and be like yeah pods is going to be a 60 point guy i mean is that what people are thinking of when they say pods is going to have this great season all of a sudden would for with 2020 or 40 points be like, as a great season? I would say that's that's pretty reasonable. Even just 20 goals. Yeah, to me, that would be a great leap. If, yeah. he, if he gets to half a point per game, which okay, is Okay, I can live ring, with that. And like that goals. I can get behind. You know, that that's to me what a step looks like this season. Does he have it within him to be more than that and, and go above 60 points and 30 goals and, and, and whatever? What? Well, let's get to 21st. Let's have this season, and then let's see where it goes. Because the real the real thing about Vasily Podkolzin is when he was when he came in as a prospect. There was a few years ago, the, about a year and a half leading up to his draft year, he was considered maybe the best prospect in that draft. Yeah, there was times people viewed him as he might be the best player, top two, top three pick. And then in his draft year, the production just didn't show up. He he wasn't able to turn that potential and that people saw into sheer production, which made him drop a little bit. He was no longer considered a top two or three prospect, more maybe, you know, five to ten prospect ends up being picked by the Vancouver Canucks at 10th overall. So I think he's been one of those guys that has always had a lot of pedigree. And mm-hmm. then we kind of looked at him after he was drafted and said, okay, maybe he's going to be an all-around player. Maybe not, you know, ever get you elite production, but he might be a really good all-around player that's hard on the puck, he's physical, he's big, he's strong, and he's smart. But what if that earlier potential exists? Yeah. So I don't think we know what his ceiling is. And I think anybody who limits put Colson is making a mistake. But I can't put a number on it. And I think what we have to see this season, Dan, is what is this step forward? What does this show us? Yeah. This year is going to be an indicator what his ultimate ceiling is going to be. Because if he gets 40-some points, I'm here for a discussion about him maybe getting past 60 in a few years. See, I, I think the the distinction that it is for me is like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying he won't continue to progress, but it's also, we can't view progression as just like, yeah, he got 20 points this year. He's going to get 30 points next year and 40 points, or he's going to go from 20 to 40, uh, 20 goals this year. And then next year it'll be 30. Progression isn't always linear. Every player, even on this Canucks roster, even the better ones, Elias Pettersson, we've seen, have a down year. Quinn Hughes, we saw, had a down year early in his career. Bo Horvat had some tough times earlier in his career. But he is like one of the players where production has just like steadily gone up. He's one of the rare cases where it just has gone slightly linear. Brock Besser has had his ups and downs Mm -hmm. as well. So it's not to diminish the talent and diminish the ceiling, I just wonder if everybody hyping this guy up realizes he's probably not going to like 
just magically develop into this top line two-way winger that can score 50 points and really drive play in his age 20 season. Like, I, I think that's that's a lot to ask for. It is asking a lot. It's, it's asking a lot for him to take that step. Is it impossible? No, I don't think it's impossible. But here's the other question. What is his pathway to do so? Right. I, I have no idea what his usage is going to be this upcoming year. Carter Garland got over 50 points this season, but he was tied with JT Miller as the most productive player at even strength. Yeah. So Garland was the most productive player the Canucks had at even strength, and he got over 50 points, just 50. He didn't even get, get to 60 this season. So without power play time or without power play one time, and maybe he gets a role on power play two, and maybe he scores a few goals, but we're not talking about a 10 to 15, 20-point season on the power play. We're talking about a handful of points maybe. So, and then the other question is, they brought in Mikheyev and paid him a lot of money. Mm-hmm. They also brought in Kuzmenko to play a skill role. That's not to say that Vasily Podkolzin is going to play on the fourth line. He's going to play. He's going to get chances. But there are guys coming in that are going to be competing for a lot of minutes. So I'm not even sure that Podkolzin is going to be getting those 16, 17 minutes a game where he can put up 50 to 60 points or something like that this season. I think realistically, if he can get up to about 14, 15 minutes a game, play about 15 minutes a game, right? Yeah. And he can get on the PK a bit, play on the second unit power play, and get you about 40 points this year, anywhere from 15 to 20-some goals. To me, that's a fantastic season, especially with his strength, his, his size, his speed, and how he can play along the wall and how smart he is and the impact that he make on the ice. Because of those things, if he even gets 40 points, that's a loadable player. Yeah. You know, so I think we also have to figure out, ultimately, what type of player is he going to be? Because if he's that all-around impact player that gets about 50 points in a season, that's worth, like, a point per game player because of the yes. overall impact he has. But if he does that and more, well, th- th- that opens up another level of potential for him. But first things first, establish yourself as a, you know, 15, 20 goal guy and a 40 point guy. And then let's see what you can do above that. You know, Mark Stone is viewed as probably the guy, especially when he was in his prime there in Ottawa. He's going through the injuries now. He's up into his uh, 30, 31 years old. Um, but he's been viewed as the best two-way winger in the game for a while. His second year in the league, which was really his uh, first full season in the league, 2014, is when he put up 64 points. It was his age 22 season. That is remarkable to think about. And he then started to develop into the two-way best defensive winger in the game. And all these different can drive play from the wing. Just a a bit of a unicorn in the NHL. I mean, if that's what you would hope Vasily Botkolzin becomes, that would be fantastic. But it's a lot to ask for in year two. Now, as far as usage goes... If you look back at April when he started to break out and really show the promise, he got rid of some of the confidence struggles that saw him get healthy scratched at different points. That's where I think we can maybe glean a little bit into what pods can do this year. He had nine points in those 13 games, four goals, and played just under 16 minutes Mm -hmm. a night. There was a lot of injuries, of course, but... He was earning his playing time because he was was playing so freaking well. If Pods can start this year that way, 
I would expect that's sort of where his minutes end up in the 15 to 16 minute range, because we have to, I think we have to view the Canucks as well in this, in this lens of if all things go well, the top nine, they're going to rotate and and all pretty much play pretty evenly. It'll be a lot of minutes. So it comes down to special teams and you know, what situations does he get out there? How many situations late in in a period, late in a game does he get out there? And those are also critical times because oftentimes you see the final five to six minutes in a game, coaches really shorten their bench. And that extra minute of ice time in that moment does matter in the overall picture. And does he factor in there? And as much as you're right, you look at the minutes he played last year, but last year they didn't have Mikheyev. No. They didn't have Kuzmenko. No. So he's going to still have to battle these guys who are his friends for minutes still. So it's interesting to look at this team, to your point. What's going to be the level of production across the board? A lot of that's going to be the usage of the lines, too. And how do you factor in having the three centers and who plays with whom and, and how do you play as a team? Because if you do essentially even out the minutes, mm-hmm. and that is as long as you're healthy, that's something you can do. As soon as one of those guys gets injured, one of your three centers, well, now all of a sudden you you have to go to a top six and a few guys are in the outside looking in. And that's the other factor here because there will be times somebody's hurt. Mm-hmm. And those 15, 20 games, you can't run out or whatever those games are. You can't run out Pedersen, Horvat, and Miller. Who's going to be the player that plays less yeah. You know, in those games? Because you're not going to have a linear lineup all season. No. It's not going to be static. Guys get hurt. There's ups and downs. And there'll be critical times in a season where coaches lean on certain players. What's your opportunity going to be? The flip side is guys may get hurt. He may get elevated and play more minutes in that role. But it's not going to be an easy spot for him just to play 15, 16 minutes a game. Because when you look at it, Kuzmenko's on a one-year deal, but they convince him to come over, power play guy, a lot of skill. You want to see if that can work, but Colson, you have control. So right off the bat, I would guess Kuzmenko may get some more looks than put Colson because you have less time to figure out what he's going to be and for him to be something for you as a, as a team. McKay have signed a big contract, so he's above him on the PK. Yeah. And like Boudreaux mentioned, they think he may have another ceiling goal scoring wise, scored 21 goals this past year in 53 games. Boudreaux said yesterday he's going to be a top six guy. So uh, right off the bat, I'm yeah. not sure where he's getting the 15, 16 minutes a game. I, I, deployment will be a, a part of this conversation too. Yeah. And, and I wonder, you know, in the 17,000 different machinations of the Canucks lineup that Bruce Boudreaux has done over the course of the summer, where he views Vasily Podkolzin's best spot. Yeah. You know, is it in a sort of matchup role with Bo Horvat and Ilya Mikheyev? That, that line would be a terror. Yeah. Mikheyev, Podkolzin, and Horvat. Um, it would not be fun to play against. I mean, very direct line, a lot of speed, mm-hmm. and a lot of size, and guys that can grind along the boards too. And Podkolzin's playmaking is underrated, and maybe he can become more of the playmaker on that line. I mean, I'd love to see that line, to see what those guys could do. But would that be a line that gets a lot of defensive zone starts? Yeah, potentially. Which you know, factors into, but again, like I wonder how much production you'll be able to get. I, what I, the the hardest part for me with judging again, going back to the, like, what does a breakout season look like for Pod Colson, and is there too much hype? Is like, I just don't think he's going to be in a role where production is, is going to be the barometer. Is going to be the barometer yeah. to judge him on. Yeah, no, I'm with you, and and I and I see a lot of people texting into, and I think. Uh, uh, Torgi nailed it. It's not all about the points. We're, we're deep up front as well. It's his game, his overall game in general. And, and that's been 
the most impressive thing about Put Colson. It's yeah. the maturity in his game and, and how good he is. But what gets us excited and what gets us curious about the future is bringing it back to what the players are saying. And you can see the traits on the ice. Mm-hmm. They're very evident. His athleticism, how well he skates, how he can bend and get to the net. It's, that's not an easy thing to do. He gets to the net. He knows how to dip his shoulder, bend his knees, and he forces his way to the net. That's a hard thing to do in the National Hockey League, especially with that size and doing it with that speed. And you see the shot. There's yeah. a lot of tantalizing tools there. So when you hear the players talk about how smart he is, how dedicated he is, and how skilled he is, you know, you you do wonder, you want to see where this might go because I don't think we should be putting this... Bring, my, my ultimate point here is don't get too caught up in his production this year. Yeah. If he gets even 40 points, that would be fantastic, I think. But let's not, let's not put a... Let's not... Um, pigeonhole him into a type of player or a ceiling yet. I don't think any of us know what Patkolson is going to be as a player yet. And I think that's what's, what's really exciting and what makes it really interesting over the next two or three years to see what this player blossoms into. Patkolson, uh, it, it's funny. Like, I, I look back at his his rookie year and go back and watch, like, Patkolson's first couple of months in, in the in the league. You know, watch him in October, November. I, I almost liken it to uh, the beginning of my broadcasting career and if I listen back to what I used to sound like, I'm like, oh boy, oh, 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 oh hey. In, in the words of Yannick Hansen, <laughs> oh, hey. you know. But like in the moment when I was doing, it, I was like, yeah, I'm kicking ass. I'm better than everybody. And like, yeah. no, you're not. <laughs> go back a couple of years for yeah. anything. Even go back a couple of years, listen to yourself. Oh like, yeah, yeah, that's that's not great. Um, there's a what I like to tell young broadcasters is like you just like the reps get rid of your give a bleep meter and then you're yeah. You're just able to do the job comfortably at a certain level. And Pod Colson was kind of like deer in headlights start yes. of the season. You know, wasn't really in tune with the NHL game. You could see him out of position at times. And if you fast forward to the end of the year, it's almost like seeing a, a different player and the way he played away from the puck, mm-hmm. how he played off the puck what he was doing in the defensive zone, some of yeah. the things he was doing in the offensive zone, just a completely different player. So, like, if that progression continues, I can see why we're going to get a really good player. Again, yeah. production might not be there. It may not be there, but, I mean, let me get nerdy for a second about Vasily Put. Let's do it. Because, so... We need, like, a sat nerd alert sound. <laughs> nerd alert! Because one of the favorite things about... A, one of my favorite things about good defensive players is them taking stuff away without you noticing it. Yes. You don't even see it. Yeah. You don't even notice it because he takes away that option. And that's one thing he does so well. And you saw that confidence grow over the course of the season. And you see it oftentimes when um, a team wins an offensive zone faceoff and it goes straight back to the point where there's a right circle to the left circle. And then usually what you see is one defender move a bit more towards the middle, get a little bit closer, or they want to keep a gap. But it's about making that DDD pass. So if you can pressure and take that pass away, what does that do? That makes either he's got to shoot, get a point shot on, or he's got to rim it around, or he's got to put it into a corner and put it up for a battle, 50-50 yeah. puck. So, but, but it's hard to do because you got to go out hard, and you got to be really on point, and you got to not overcommit when you go to take that pass away. Because if you overcommit, all of a sudden, now there's a five on four, and yeah. you're, you're now lost. They're, now they there's a numbers advantage for the offensive team. So usually what you see players do, though, is just get, kind of stay intact because they don't yeah. want to mess up. So you kind of stay intact and allow that pass and keep it to the outside. He's so good at reading. And you saw early in the season, he would, he would try to jump it, but he wouldn't. You see some hesitation in his game. And a couple times he got caught. And I remember turning to, I think it was you or Bick I was watching the game with. And I'm like, once he figures that out, 
Yeah. Once he's confident with that, like that pass isn't going to happen. He's going to take some stuff away. And you saw over the course of the season, he got more and more confident. And those are the types of things about him that that's super exciting. He sees the game so well. He understands the game so well. And if you're able to make that type of an impact that nobody notices, but it's a huge impact. I mean, those are the types of players you win with. It's uh, those little details. Right? Coaches talk about details all the time. And it's something that some players figure out pretty quickly, as we've seen with Pod Colson. It's something that some players never really quite yeah. figure out at the NHL level. Um, because a lot of times, young players, they're able to get away without those things in lower mm-hmm. levels of hockey. They're just, they win on their talent. They win because they're bigger than the other players. But when you get to the NHL and the skill level is more evened out, mm-hmm. everybody's as big and strong as you are. Everybody's as good and smart as you are. That That's when your details really start to matter. Yeah, And uh, that's something we saw with Pod Colson really grow last year. Uh, to the live listeners on the Dunbar Lumber text line, appreciate all our listeners live and on the podcast. Always subscribe, leave a review. That way you never miss an edition of Canuck Central. Kevin Army from Surrey. This is maybe what I'm I'm kind of talking about, Sat, with the overhyping of Pod Colson. Vasily puts goals in is Ovechkin light. <laughs> oh, you get a bit of everything. You get this one somebody else said. Um uh, Do we remember what like Alex Ovechkin did in his rookie year? Oh, hey, just like fifty goals, whatever. Hey, you got to balance the universe because there's a take <laughs> that said Benning was so brutal. Everyone's blabbing about what a great, great pick Pods was. He's overrating him uh, as a top ten pick. He's a third liner in my book. So we have somebody calling him Ovechkin. We have somebody calling him a third liner. So maybe the truth know. is somewhere in the middle. <laughs> I'd probably say so. <laughs> That's the problem that you guys have because you don't have all the information. We don't. Uh, MJ on Twitter asks, um, how much of Pud Colson was the Bruce factor? And obviously, you know, him coming in, playing more and trusting more. It's true, but it's not like... Um, oh, he did not play more until like very late in the season. Exactly. So as much as yes, you know, you give Bruce credit and coaching change obviously was big too. And, um, you know, people, Travis Green's tenure does not look good. In, in the in the light of what uh, Bruce Boudreau did. But if you actually look at his development and deployment under Boudreau initially, that change happened as time went on. Did Bruce help? Maybe. Definitely played a part in all that sort of stuff. But to your point, that trust didn't happen until later in the season. Now, is it a fair question to ask? Would that trust have happened under the previous coach? Well, we don't know the answer to that. Yeah. A lot of times the player earns that trust. And Pod Colson, it, it was just like a, a switch flipped. Yeah. You know, he, he scored a goal, he was going through a rut, scored a goal, and then all of a sudden, the confidence just was brimming off the player. And mm-hmm. that carried through the end of the season. Again, the April is where it really shined, nine points in 13 games. Um, all right, coming up, Irfan Gaffar is going to join us. Uh, we stirred up a little bit of a conversation with uh, our interview with Frank Saravalli yesterday and how he talked about Bo Horvat's negotiations going We'll discuss that a little bit with Irf and uh, whether or not the Canucks could still be busy before the start of the season with any sort of transactions. That's coming up next. It is Canucks Central on Sportsnet 650.
Coming to you from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. This hour of Canuck Central is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, mm. your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. I was just thinking about the uh, barbecue we had at Andrew Sherritt last week. That was pretty good. That was good. Good barbecue. Yep. Met some uh, loyal listeners to yeah, Canuck Central. We did. Always a pleasure. And uh, speaking of food, five minutes before <laughs> showtime today. I knew this was coming. Five <laughs> minutes before showtime today. Yeah. Sat. I, I can't believe I'm going to do this. What? What, what are you? Uh, where? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go grab a pizza. I know I'm going to get hungry. I'm just. I. I need a slice of pizza. Exactly. We're on air in like five minutes, bro. You're leaving now? It's just around the corner. It's fine. <laughs> I was back in time. I yeah. finished eating it and everything on air. Four minutes later, you're you're back in the studio. And I still and I and I had time to finish the slice of pizza. Too. Yeah. I was it was pretty impressive. What kind of what kind of slice of pizza did you get? Uh, just pepperoni. Something just, simple. Just a little pep. Yeah. I was I was hungry. I was like, I had a protein bar and I'm like, oh, this is not enough. And it was like almost four o'clock. I'm like, we're not going to be off till six thirty. And the last thing I want to do is get hangry on air. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't want to be drinking coffee the whole show, so I stay full. So, yeah. Let's bring in our next guest from the fourth period. It's Irfan Gafar. Uh, do you know this about Sat that he's like Brad Pitt in Ocean's Eleven? He's always eating. <laughs> Have you seen Sat? <laughs> <laughs> always eating. Always eating. It's incra- It's crazy. How you doing? Great. How are you guys? Oh, we're doing all right. Unofficial, unofficial start to, I guess, hockey season here. Mm-hmm. Jake Milford yesterday. That that's the that's the sign, right? When the Jake Milford comes along, that's our sign that hockey season season has begun. Yeah, when 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 the questions of the first day of the camp are all are who is the worst golfer? That's how you know <laughs> hockey season's here. For so every how, single NHL team. So apparently people people are talking about JT Miller being really good, not just good. I mean, Boudreaux apparently said like he's got PGA tour ability. Oh wow. And I saw the clip Earth is referring to. To a man, except thinking, for one player, they all said it was JT Miller. I thought that the clip, by the way, but it's just funny. Oh no, but but you know what I mean? But it's, I'm just saying, like, is yeah. he actually that good? Because I didn't know like JT Miller's like that good of a golfer. Yeah. Um I, apparently he's unbelievably good at golf. Uh I think Around the league, like there's a few guys that are really, really. Martin Jones was really good. Joe Pavelski is really good. Shocker, the guys that played in San Jose for a lot of their careers. Yeah, I feel like Joe uh, Joe Pavelski is that guy that would be good at anything. Yeah, um, <laughs> Canucks alumni Darcy Rhoda is like a scratch golfer. Okay. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of guys out there that are pretty good. I am definitely not, but uh, we'll keep we'll keep working on the game. I'd love to. If speak. I was if I was a hockey player, I don't think I'd want to be known to be a really good golfer because that means I had to like not play. <laughs> into like april may and june a lot yeah you know july and august exist you know exactly these guys do their morning workout and then they got their tea time at one in the afternoon every single day in the summer well and and you know what it's funny because we're talking about this i see people texting and they're like talk about his hat cowards good golfer bad person and bad character i mean it is what it is yeah with jt miller right i mean there's always going to be that type of react no matter what it is with him because of whatever views he may have or whatever and the type of player that he is he's always going to be a polarizing player in this market isn't he yeah it's funny because you, you, we had one for a very long time. It was a polarizing person and figure in this market. That was Ryan Kessler. Mm. Yeah. Right? For a very long time. The way he played, the edge that he played at, and, you know, people obviously ride around him and you had your opinions about him. 
Um, but now it's, you know, you have a guy in JT Miller and I think more so the fan base is now looking at it because they've committed to him for yeah. a very long time and given him a lot of money. So oh, this JT Miller conversation is never going to stop now. Well, it's funny, like the day after he signs the contract, like, oh, well, he doesn't have trade protection for this year. <laughs> it's like, please stop. No, we're not doing this. No. Uh, we're, you're we're... committed. You're, you're commit- that contract is basically yeah. not movable for the first four years. Um, so, okay, that, that leaves the other half of the conversation, uh, Bo Horvat. And yesterday we were talking with Frank Saravalli, and he said there's been friction within the, the negotiations how do you feel this uh, this negotiation is going right now for Bo Horvat and the Canucks? I think Frank Frank's right. Mm, yeah. I think that, you know, Bo obviously wants to be here, but Bo, you know, wants to be paid as, as he feels like he should be. And uh, I think that the Canucks have a number that, you know what, they're not really willing to go over for Bo Horvat. And, you know, Bo's camp is above that number. And that's why, you know, they're, continuing to have these conversations back and forth but i can tell you right now tomorrow the first tomorrow's the first day of you know basically media availability is both going to be asked about it and you know probably bruce boudreau will as well right so until something happens or if nothing happens at all they come out and say we're not discussing it until the end of the year or or until whatever then you know this is something that's not going to go away and you almost feel bad for Bo in a way because you know, this team had a little bit of promise. They, you know, they were five points out of the playoffs last season. And, you know, they were, you know, kind of on the up and up. You know, you got guys that, you know, Paul Colton was playing really well at the end of last season. So was Connor Garland. And then you go and you add a guy like McKayev. You get Kuzmenko, right? And then you thought, okay, what's going to happen here? Like, what is the commitment? Who is it to? And they decided to go to JT Moe. Now, it's not to say that they're not going to sign Bo, but it's just interesting to see that the way that they decided to go about this. It really is, and the the question does come down to what is their internal valuation of Bull Horvat? Because with JT, you know, I thought, and I mentioned this before, I thought maybe they would go to fifty million if push came to shove. I didn't think they would go to fifty six million. And I don't think anyone there. No, and the reality for uh, Bull Horvat is what it, what he's looking at, especially because he's going to be twenty seven years old and he's an unrestricted free agent, a couple years younger than JT, of course. And you look at market values and everything. I mean, he's looking at similar money, I'm sure. You know, whether you think Bo is worth it or not, in free agency next season, he's signing a contract for seven years worth anywhere from seven and a half, bare minimum, up to eight and a half million. Like, that's the range Bo is getting as a free agent next season. So the question comes down to how much of a discount is he willing to give to Vancouver? And what's the internal number Vancouver's willing to give him max? Because I can't believe they were going to give 50 million to two players. Would Would they do that? Well, I, I mean, the number that I saw, I saw that was thrown around a little bit was seven times seven. You know, are they going to do that and kind of sign him to that and figure it out next year? Mm-hmm. Right? But, I mean, look, if we're one day away from their official start to training camp mm-hmm. and your captain is left unsigned. Now, look, there's something, nothing to say that it can't be done tonight or tomorrow or whatever, but, you know, if when people are saying that they're not, that there's some friction, there's, there's a little bit of hostility between the two sides, that usually doesn't mean things can happen. Now, you know, we said that Brock Besser and, and that they weren't close and, and they eventually got that deal done. All it really takes is a phone call from one side to another. Look how quick JT Miller's deal got done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, if either side is really worried about this leaking into the season or 
people talking about it and this being, you know, on the back page of the province newspaper and taking up headlines in all sorts of different places, as they start their training camp here, they're going to get it done. But you've got to have it. You have to have a deadline. Like you, you have to have an idea of what you're going to do and what your plan is organizationally. I mean, if you're Bo, you're, you're going into camp, you're, you're under contract. There's really nothing you can do. You let your agent handle it and you go and play hockey. The problem is, is everything that you're going to be asked about it mm-hmm. weekly, monthly, whatever. Yeah. But it's, it's one of those things that until something gives one way or another, it's, this is, this is, this one, this one's definitely not losing legs. The guy's face is all over the building. <laughs> it's a, I mean, he's the captain of the team. He's exactly. he, he's been the face of this team. He's uh, and he's been a good soldier for for so many years through all the bad years, and and here he is now. And uh, things are maybe looking up a little bit with this roster. And and now he's going to be a big subject of well, is he staying or is he going? And and the most recent example. Of, of a situation like this is Gabe Landeskog, mm-hmm. right? But yep. you know, Colorado is in a very different spot. They're in all-in. We're playing for the Cup every year. We're, we're making trades at the deadline and just maximizing every year as we can. And we know the Canucks, while they're still trying to be competitive, maybe they don't see themselves in that window just yet, right? Patrick Alvine, we're only, what, a few months removed from him saying we can't afford to lose good players for free for where we are currently at. I I think this ultimately like this negotiation, if it extends into the season and how it plays out, it's really going to test this Canucks front office as to how hard they are about negotiating and how willing they are to maybe play this out beyond the trade deadline, assuming they're in a playoff race. Well, I think that that's the thing that, you know, is, is, is the biggest for this team. Like I mentioned five, five points, you know, out of a playoff spot last season and you know they started the year what was it they had eight wins in their first 20 something games yeah or something like that eight in the first 25 or something like that um right so they can't have that start they can't afford to have that start you can't afford to have all this bad juju around your team you know b- b- uh, before this season starts so you signed jt miller obviously you knew at that point there was going to be some mixed emotions within the market and and things like that but that 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 is your commitment now are you going to commit to a kid that was drafted here that they traded to get essentially i know it was a different regime and everything Mm -hmm. like that that you decided to make your captain like what's your commitment level to him right and i know sat you just mentioned what's their what's their internal value of him um what they think of him but also furthering it more we don't know if he's here or going to be gone what is the market value for him with another team well, right? I think like, it's huge. We go into, we go, I, I do too. We go into camp tomorrow, though. Everyone's opening up training camp this week. How many teams are really going to push to make a move this early in the season? Right? So that's why it might be a slow play game here. Well, it absolutely is. Because I think, I, think I think Bo's reputation around the league and I think his value by some around the league would be a lot higher than how people viewed JT Miller. So I think if the yep. Canucks want to trade Bo, they can get more than they could have got for JT. Will they trade him? I mean, we'll find out. But to your point, I, I don't know if that pressure point is is something that's out there right now, whether it's for Vancouver or it's for another team. Because what team has to make a trade before the start no of the season? Is it the Flyers? Like, no. come on, they're a mess, right? And I mean, the Islanders need, need a forward, but you know Lou, he's not desperate. I don't well, the think... Guy that the guy that the Flyers would trade is hurt. Well, like, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, <laughs> you know I mean? So, so here's a question. I get, to me, the date in terms of where and when they want to make something happen would have to be around December. Yeah, I agree. You don't want to get into the new year. No. 
And you look at, I mean, we always talked about the, the certain points of the season where you kind of figure out where you're at as a hockey team. It's American Thanksgiving, and then it's obviously, you know, the all-star break, and then it's trade deadline, right? Yeah. So those, those are the three points. And last year, American Thanksgiving, we all know that the Canucks weren't a very good hockey team, right? And they made some changes there, and then and we saw what happened, and then in came Bruce, and, you know, things were really great. Um, and, they, and they definitely turned things around. But, yeah, there, there's, there's, there has to be some deadlines internally for, for the Canucks side to, to at least try and get something done. And, I mean, I, I know that both camps definitely wants to have this try, figured out at some point, right? Well, I mean, they absolutely absolutely do. And the one question I posed to Donnie yesterday, and we talked about this, the Canucks themselves, and this is something Alvin talked about and Rutherford talked about, we have to make some tough decisions, and those decisions will be uncomfortable. We're going to have to probably part ways with some players that fans aren't going to be happy with. Well, that hasn't happened yet. You know, they, they signed Besser. They signed JT Miller. Yeah. You know, where where's a tough decision coming? Is it on Bo then? You, you know what I mean? Like, I just... I just get the sense that, and I mentioned this yesterday on the show, Earth. I got the sense that with JT, you, you had this too, they wanted to keep him. They wanted to keep JT if they could. There was a real desire to. And as much mm-hmm. as they say that about Bo, I don't, I don't know if, if it's, it's as strong as it was with JT. I just don't know if it is. Well, if it was, Bo would be signed by now. Exactly. And I think that that's, that's what everyone should be looking at. If, if there was that desire, if there was, if there was this, this, need and want and, and everything for, for Bo. And I understand it's a contract negotiation and guys want to get theirs and the Canucks have their money thing, but it's not that hard to pick up a phone and get it done. Right? And, and I think that that's the biggest thing when it comes to this this one right now is there, yes, maybe some friction in, uh, between the two, but he's the captain of your team at the end of the day. Unless you're going to go a la Winnipeg Jets here and, and, and do some weird stuff to <laughs> take the C off your captain and, and do whatever. That's for a completely different, completely different reason, but I don't think that's happening. Um, but, you, but you never know, right? I, just, I agree with you on the commitment thing. I, I think that they've shown who they're committed to. Now, who's to say that they can't sign Bo tomorrow and then just figure it out next season or, or in the next week or so or whatever it is. But, uh, but I do agree with you is that JT Miller was definitely a player as much as it was out there that they might have moved him for the right deal. They wanted to keep him. So um, moving on from, from that conversation. Uh, Thank you. Ian McIntyre <laughs> uh, reported interest from the Canucks in, in Ethan Bear. Uh, you know, we talked about Nils Lungfist yesterday here on the show. And while the Canucks probably had interest in the player, they weren't ever going to pay the price that that Dallas ended up paying for Nils Lungfist. It's pretty obvious the Canucks are looking for for a right shot defenseman. I would imagine they they'd like to make some kind of a move happen before the start of the season, but you know that's easier easier said than done. Do you think the Canucks are, are look, still looking to add a defenseman before the start of the year? But one hundred percent. I yeah. think that that's that that's near that's Bo's probably a priority, probably number one it should be, and one one B is try and figure out what they're going to do on their blue line here. I mean, obviously there's going to be some battle for roster positions here as we we go into training camp and and this weekend. And once we start to get into preseason games to see what the pairings are like and, and who plays where, and then who Quinn, who Quinn gets to play with and on what side he is and things like that. But um, yeah, I I think a right shot defenseman is still needed. And, and, you know, Ethan bear is a guy that, yeah, he doesn't jump off the page at you, but he'll do things well. Right. And he's another guy that, kind of fills, fills a positional need that they have. Like, 
I don't think the Canucks are going to make a splash here and get a, a guy that is going to, you know, blow the team out of the water, blow these fan, the fan base out of the water of who they're acquiring, unless it's mm-hmm. in a big deal. And I just don't think that teams are willing to give up top three or four defensemen right now, right? This is this early, unless unless it's for unless it's for a massive haul. But you have to look at it and you, and, and and be realistic about it. You know, the connection have to a try and fill it from within at first. And if you can, you, you hope someone jumps off the page at Boost Brodeau at training camp. But if not, you got to get creative here because yeah. there's also something else they have to worry about, and that's salary cap. Well, and you, you know, like with all this stuff that we're talking about, this, this team and like overall, I don't think, and I think Alvin kind of hinted at it. Well, I didn't hint it; he just said it out, out straight out to Ian McIntyre in the article that came out yesterday. That I'm tired of people talking about the 50 games last year. We didn't accomplish anything. We weren't good enough to make the playoffs. So whatever run we went on, it wasn't good enough because we missed the playoffs. And for all the talk about this team believing in this core and all this sort of stuff, and we've kind of mentioned this before earth but this team wanted to do a lot more we talked about this a lot over the course of the summer despite the fact that they didn't make any trades or not a lot of trades this was a team that wanted to make more trades they wanted to clear cap space they want to reshape the roster they weren't able to do so which means they're not hitting heading into this season saying we're happy with every single player on this team they're going to be looking for trades all throughout the year if they can yeah. improve the team like they're going to be more aggressive i think than people believe heading into the season with this roster well, and you can't afford to not make the playoffs, right? You invested a lot of money into guys like JT Miller. You invested money into Ilya Mikheyev. You invested, you know, money into in, into a guy like uh, Andre Kuzmenko, and, and you wanted to go and get him to try and improve this team. You're redoing your entire dressing room and, and your weight your weight room downstairs. You're you're investing into the sports performance side of things with with different types of positions and, and things like that, and human performance and all that. And you know, all this isn't to not make the playoffs. Right, you're, you're you're not doing these things to just coast on during a season and and you know celebrate mediocrity like like they always do, right? You you hire Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin to to make bold moves, to make tough moves, to have these conversations, whether it's with ownership or whether it's with players or or agents, to to try and improve this hockey team. And and he, Alvin's right. Who cares about the 50 games? They didn't make the playoffs, right? It was it's a nice story. Yeah. The Bruce, there it is, was great. But now let's see what now that now let's see what happens when it's zero eighty two right now, and then we and then and then we can talk about this team. Yeah, it, it, the the start of this year is going to be so so fascinating because right. Well, they said they they're what their first five games are on the road. Yeah, always. I mean that's it, probably the best thing for them. But yeah, it's uh and, and we've already heard it from some of the players like we can't we can't start the same way we did last year. No, you know, and they're, I, they, they're I, really I guarding against it. Well, yeah, exactly. yeah. So it's. I, at the start of this year is uh, going to be super fascinating. Uh, so Seahawks won in 16. What do you think? I won our Super Bowl. I don't care. <laughs> won the game we needed to win. Uh, and I think in the fashion that it happened makes it so much better. Yeah. Uh, Irv, we'll talk so, uh, We'll talk next week. All right, guys. Be well. All right, there he is. Irfan Gafar. Yeah. And Sat's broken microphone. Yeah, it's fixed now. Fixed it. <laughs> Fixed it. We've we've made some. Uh, we're doing some upgrades to the studio. Yes. The microphone issue is, is still. I'm going to tell you right now. I don't think that's part of the upgrades. <laughs> not not later either. No. I don't know. Oh. Well. I I'm going to assume not. <laughs> Hopefully at some point. Yeah. Uh, if you were watching on the stream earlier, Sat Sat's wearing a green T-shirt. Uh, yeah. So you can follow the stream on Twitter, and uh, his green T-shirt was working as a green screen. So. It was. We were trying to get a Baker Mayfield's page <laughs> on Sat's shirt, and it, it we had some issues. Couldn't pull it off. No, no. 
Can we try that again and have Sat say, I woke up this morning feeling dangerous? Let's <laughs> play the audio over it. Yeah, when I woke up this morning, I was feeling pretty dangerous. You got the audio of it. Yeah. Yeah. Could have been that close. Baker. Yeah, the only only thing dangerous <laughs> Baker's on the field is your chance of winning a football game. Uh, Matt Rule feels like a mark of a coach. But Woo! anyways. Who's the bigger mark, him or Nathaniel, <laughs> Nathaniel Hackett? Nathaniel can't hack it. My, my new favorite name for him. Um Okay, so I just wanted to say, just to close out the bow conversation, we've talked about team-friendly deals, right? And what is a team-friendly deal for a player? Often when the deal is signed, you don't think it's that team-friendly. Sticker shock. Yeah, unless uh, Lou Lamorello has signed that deal with, like, Ryan Pulak. It's like, what? How's he not getting $9 million? What? Um, but with Bo, so like I might say, team friendly for Bo is probably around six and a half. And most fans might view it that way as well, like him giving the team a discount. But what does Bo's camp feel a team friendly deal is? Remember, even Miller, mm. after signing the contract, there was a report from Miller's agent, Brian Bartlett, that we left money on the table by signing this now with Vancouver. Yeah. How much are we talking about? $2 million, $3 million, $4 yeah. million, whatever it is. Same thing with Bo. Yeah. It's going to be. And even if you, so I think there's a way you could sign Bo to $6.5 million, but you're doing eight years. Yes. That's the uh, Braden Shen contract. Yeah. I have no interest in that. No. Personally, that's $52.5 million. I, I, I honestly, it's hard to predict what the team would, would be willing to do. I just have a hard time squaring them committing that much to both those players and taking them into their 30s, well into their 30s, yeah. and also with OEL. I was all for choosing one guy, and I always made it clear that JT was a guy I would prioritize, but choose one guy, maximize the other, and see how it goes. Because I don't know you can get both guys signed to a nice number. Because You're right. Like JT's number is not ridiculous. But it's also not like team friendly. It's an $8 million no. cap hit. Yeah. And Bo's number isn't going to be outrageous. But it's not going to be team friendly. And how many non-team friendly deals can you have when you haven't accomplished anything? And hey, maybe the team feels like they can't let him go. And they're going to sign him ultimately. And they're just haggling over the few bucks it's going to take to get it done. But... The other question I have is they made it clear that they're going to make a tough decision somewhere, and they haven't done that yet. Yeah. So when is that coming? Is it with Bo or is it somebody else? Ultimately, and hey, uh, if you listen back to the emergency podcast we did when when Miller signed the contract, um, it, my frustration was this core is not good enough. Why do you keep locking up in, into the same core? And if they sign Bo, then they are really doing that. <laughs> You yeah, <laughs> and, and you know what? Like, you know, to be fair, like if you do lock in Bo, it's not to say just because it's something I wouldn't do doesn't mean it's not something you can't do and you can't be successful in doing. Because ultimately, you want to have three good, good centers, and if you can have an edge and have those three guys and have them locked up long term to deals you can you can live with, that's not a bad thing. You're, you're no. you got your center's position figured out for the next five to seven years. That's not a bad thing to have figured out, right? Assuming they all maintain a high level of yeah. play. So you have, you know, that's not a bad thing. And there are other ways for you to be able to address your needs, but it becomes harder. 
yeah. and your value is less. So you have to thread the needle even more so if you don't do that. It doesn't mean you can't do it. It just makes your task a lot more difficult. And somewhere, some way, somehow, what these guys also have to do, and this is and regardless of whatever decision they make with Bo Horvat, they're going to have to pull a rabbit out of a hat somewhere. You have mm-hmm. to make a signature move somewhere where you took something, didn't get up a lot, and turned it into a big-time producer or big-time or an important player for you. Every single team that's had success has had one or two of those gems from somewhere. Yeah, Tampa, Who's that going to be? Tampa's had those guys, Yeah, right? Um, Colorado's had yeah. those guys. Nachushkin, right? <laughs> Signed him to a league yeah. min contract because he was uh, not playing very well, and now look where he is. Uh, and even go back 10 years to, to those Canucks teams, right? Getting Alex Burrows, yeah. right? Developing Alex Burrows into a thing. Chris Tanev. Chris Tanev as an undrafted free agent. You know? Now, even even with Tanev, it never maximized because, you know, he played in 2011 yeah. as a bit, bit part and came in, you know, whatever in the postseason or whatever. But still, you have to find one or two of those impact players somewhere that you're not expecting. Yeah. And maybe, just maybe... Maybe not impact players, but maybe the club is on to something with some of the players they've signed recently to develop into potential NHL players. And we got to see them at the Young Stars Tournament over the weekend. We'll discuss some of our takeaways and whether or not the team has done a better job of building out some young development depth in the organization. That's next on Canuck Central.